0: This time on Across the Peak, Rich and I tell you three ways to jumpstart a car, including one that requires no equipment whatsoever.
1: Welcome to the Across the Peak Podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and, well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the f up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak
0: rich what's happening man
2: another day of living the dream my brother
0: that's right man that's right um let's talk about the atp store a little bit man tell me what's what we got going on there
2: we've got a kick-ass store if you haven't checked it out man you, you definitely need to we've got we've got a little something for everybody uh coffee mugs you want to go to the farmer's market and have a badass tote to carry with you uh, it's a little cold out you can put your little ATP hoodie on uh, I'm really proud of what we've done with the store man what do you think
0: absolutely man and the, pretty much all of these are ATP personalized items with quotes from the show and Rich's smiling face on them and stuff like that so
2: it- uh, well maybe not yeah but maybe that's something we should do you know if everybody wants that let me know we'll put that on there for you
0: yeah, we'll see if we can get someone to do a pencil sketch of a uh, rich or something. I love it. So, what are you drinking, man?
2: I'm drinking. I saw this the other day. It's the Jim Beam repeal batch bourbon, and um, Jim Beam during the Prohibition. Uh, you know, they were one of the distillers that that were kind of got the kibosh put on them during during Prohibition. But they, I think, they were. F- they just did some farming during that time and were kind of waiting in the wings, and as soon as that was overturned, they went full force with uh, getting their um, bourbon back on the market. And this is a limited edition that they put together. It's 86 proof Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. And, uh, of course, it's been aged four years like all the other Jim Beam products. And I think one of the things that, that gives it a little bit fuller body and and maybe a little tastier on the palate is it's non-chill filtered other than that i think it's the same mash bill justin as the normal jim beam white label but uh it's not bad and the price point is is pretty damn good too so definitely want to check that out
0: what does non-chill filtered mean
2: well they literally it's it's pretty much what it sounds one of the ways that they can filter out some of the particulates in it is to chill filter it as i understand it Uh, and if, when they don't do that, you, you may have a little bit more particulate in the, uh, in the bourbon. Uh, I'm sure some bourbon aficionado is rolling over in his grave, but that's, as I understand it as a lay person.
0: Well, Kai's father, old BBT is a big, big fan of Jim Beam. So we might have to see if we can, uh, we can find a bottle of that for him.
2: Yeah. It's under 20 bucks. I mean, it's, it's not expensive at all. And it's a pretty tasty little product,
0: huh? I'll I'll check that out, man. I'll keep my eye out for it. What are you drinking, bro? Uh, I'm having a Sierra Nevada celebration. It is their winter ale, and uh, it's actually an IPA. It's one of the very few uh, holiday winter beers that's an IPA, and it's not super, super hoppy. I think it's uh, about 65 IBUs. And I was doing a little, I I was kind of curious about the provenance of this particular thing, and I was looking at their website. And I I actually, I don't know if you know this, I did, I certainly did not, but about 90% of the world's hops are harvested between, I think it's uh, September 1st and October 1st, or maybe I've, maybe I'm, maybe it's October 1st and October 30th or something like that. Um, They all grow during the summer and they're all harvested in about a one month or 90% harvested in this one month window. And they were saying that's why they use those hops. They actually use uh, fresh hops in like just right off the vine in that brew and uh you know most most beers are hopped with hops that have been dried out and stored for some period of time but uh it and and they uh, put a year on it every year so this is the sierra nevada celebration 2018 uh indicating that those hops are from the 2018 batch and it might be a little bit different from 2017 or 2016 or i think it goes i think this beer goes all the way back to 1981 but it's a really really good ipa man
2: well, I, d- I didn't know that either. And the, the C- Sierra Nevada line of, of beers, I think, are are absolutely phenomenal. So I, I, I'm not normally an IPA guy, of course, but I would sound like I'll check that out. But I, on that note, you're a home brewer, man. It, it, can you make IPA at home?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man.
2: Okay. I didn't know if that was uh, because of the—I don't know. I don't know. Just something about the additional hops or whatever in the in the process. I don't know if that made it something that most homebrewers could not do so that's not an issue huh
0: no the hops are the hops are really easy to add and uh we are we are planning a homebrew episode i think it might be the next episode that airs but basically an ale uh, most homebrewers pretty much just brew ales because ale yeast is top fermenting it's it's very flexible through a wide range of temperatures and uh lagers are what most homebrewers can't make because uh the process of lagering I'm not sure if you're familiar with this it's a german term that they they basically means putting these beer barrels in a cave and letting them age in a at a very specific temperature for 30 60 90 days whatever it is that process is called lagering kind of the same thing as cheddaring cheese um ch- putting that cheese wheel covering it in wax and putting it in a cave for a year and letting it cheddar um that's why, basically, if you're a home brewer and you want to lager beer, you pretty much need a second refrigerator that can hold that beer at about fifty degrees for a month or more.
2: I had no idea, not a clue.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get into that stuff when we when we do the home brewing episode, and I'm going to have uh, Kai Mando on to help me help me out with that one because uh, she probably knows more about it than I do. Um, what'd you do this week?
2: My mom had some health issues, so we. Um we spent a little time in the hospital with her and then we uh, brought her back here to the house and took care of her and she's suffering from a little dementia. And uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting, man. If, if you're, if you're a listener and you're out there and there's some trips, some uh, tips and tricks for dealing with a parent that has Alzheimer's, man, some things that you've found useful, man, send them to me at rich at across the com. I mean, uh, our atp community man i'm always interested in what you guys and gals are doing out there so if you have something you'd like to share with me uh, i know uh, my wife and i would love to have it because we are neophytes when it comes to this new place we find ourselves in
0: yeah i i hate to hear that buddy i uh i knew she was in the hospital when i talked to you uh talked to you earlier this week but yeah i hope, hope everything works out there man
2: yeah yeah i appreciate that bro uh, what'd you do, man?
0: Uh, holiday stuff, family, uh, we took Jake to Christmas, uh,
2: <laughs> which, <laughs> what is, uh, <laughs>
0: what,
2: what does that mean? Took Jake <laughs> to Christmas?
0: Uh, we, man, it's turned into such a running joke here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the day we're at uh, Christmas Eve, we're getting ready to walk out to go or to, uh, go over to family and, uh, you know, for, for Christmas Eve with Kai's parents and her uh, siblings and their kid nieces and nephews and stuff. And uh, she, she was just like, Jake, you want to go to Christmas? And he flipped the fuck out. <laughs> uh, that ah, What a weirdo. Anyway, we, uh, yeah, holiday stuff got together, with family and all that stuff. Uh, we actually, I, I had a couple of friends that were in town that we got together for a couple of drinks with yesterday. Haven't seen in a while. And um, we actually started making kombucha, man. We made our first back, batch of kombucha this week. It's not ready but a very simple process. I was kind of surprised at the simplicity of it. You basically just make sweet tea and put this, uh, scoby in it that, or this culture in it that forms this scoby at the top of it and turns your sweet tea into kombucha. So we're looking forward to see what that turns out like.
2: And I'm looking forward to hearing how that works out. Um, I I didn't know that was something you could do. I guess you can, make anything at home, but I'm, I'm I'm very excited to hear how that works out for you. And on the the funny holiday stuff, a buddy of mine's son, I guess he's heard us talk about jiu-jitsu a few times, too many, and he, it, so they ask him, so what what do you want for Christmas? And he says, uh, I want the jiu-jitsu for Christmas. And we're like, you want the jiu-jitsu? He's like, yeah, I want all of it. I want all the jujitsu for Christmas. So I'm like, oh, Okay. You know, it's just funny to hear this little kid say that. He didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but he he wanted all of it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, uh, So um, excited to talk about how to jumpstart a car. And if you're one of those listeners that like, man, what am I going to learn here? Put your seatbelt on and get ready because uh, we got some good stuff coming up in this episode today. Oh, I'll,
0: I'll tell you, man. I thought I knew how to jumpstart a car and I learned a few things putting this episode together and i was i mentioned this to a couple people who were like yeah man i feel like i know how to jumpstart a car but i haven't done it in 16 years so uh you know i could probably muddle my way through it but there's definitely a right and a wrong way to do this and i think that's what we want to talk about uh today so why why should you know how to do this
2: well i mean definitely you you may have to jumpstart yourself and get yourself out of a out of a position. You may need to jumpstart someone that you care about, or maybe someone you don't care about. Maybe it's a stranger that uh, that needs a jumpstart in the Walmart parking lot, man. And you can be the guy or gal that's competent enough to help them out with that.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is a very very common issue. It doesn't matter if you're driving a you know a, a fairly new car or an old clunker, man. This is something that happens to all of us because it basically comes down to that battery being being charged and maintaining a charge. And it doesn't matter if you're driving a $60,000 pickup, uh, you're still basically reduced to that $150 battery as far as getting your car started, right?
2: Yeah, that's totally right. And I'll tell you, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're listening and going, well, I just call AAA, you know, that's why I have them for. Do you really want to sit there in the parking lot for an hour waiting for, you know, some guy in a pickup to come start your car? You know, th- there's other ways around that than, than just having to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. So uh, I, I guess first things first, how do you know if jump-starting is what you, how do you know if a dead battery is, is what you have?
2: Well, there's a couple of different ways. And one of the things we have in the notes, and this is the kind of the, my go-to is you put the key in the ignition and the dashboard lights come on, but maybe the starter clicks or the dashboard lights come on and they're very dim. Every time you try to turn the key, the dashboard lights will dim and the starters click 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 over and over and over again then guess what you're not getting enough juice to the engine and it ain't gonna work
0: yeah uh that that's kind of the classic sign that click 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 and the battery's dim and uh, i've had uh have you ever had a battery so dead that absolutely nothing worked. Your power door locks didn't work. You you'd put the key in and no dash lights would come on. No noise. Nothing.
2: Oh my god! Yeah, we have a. I have an old diesel pickup. You've seen it, that old red pickup I got from my grandfather when he passed away. And that thing, we had some issues with the alternator, and, and there was a voltage regulator, and we uh, ended up replacing everything at least once or twice. And that's exactly what happened, man. That damn thing would drain, and you would put your key in, and absolutely nothing would happen. It's completely dead. Um, but you know, that, that's maybe a little bit more rare. Um, what are some other things that could happen?
0: Well, uh, if, if all the lights come on, uh, if, if, you know, your windows go up and down, your air conditions blowing and, uh, the engines try like actually turning over, but just not cranking, you probably have something other than the battery. And at that point, jump jumpstarting is, is not not going to do you any good it's not going to solve your problem uh it's, it's much more likely something with fuel delivery uh your fuel pump your fuel filter you might just be out of gas which i hope none of our listeners would uh, would be out of gas but probably potentially some sort of problem with the ignition system not a dead battery though if your engine's actually turning over
2: yeah that's absolutely right and and believe it or not i've seen that happen before the the fuel pump or something like that it's just not working and you may think it's a battery issue. It's 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 probably not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, let me just. I, have you? I'm I'm confident. I know the answer here, Rich. But have you ever had to jumpstart a car?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jumpstart cars, motorcycles, uh, you name it, pal. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Oh, know. and uh, airplanes too. Have you ever? Uh, you know, one of the things when I was learning how to fly as a teenager uh, is basically jumpstarting an airplane by just twisting the prop like you see in those old movies, man. Uh, I've done that too. No
0: kidding, man. I, I have seen that in old movies. Is that really a thing? How hard is that to do?
2: Oh, yeah, with a, a single-engine uh, prop, it's it's not very hard to do. But it, it, I I was 16 years old when I did it the first time, and I was absolutely terrified that I was going to get sucked into that, that thing and chopped to pieces.
0: Yeah, I, I'd i be pretty terrified of that too, and I imagine you probably can't <laughs> yeah. do that on a, on a Boeing
2: 747,
0: huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> um yeah, I've. Uh, I don't know if the listeners know. I actually own a, a class B RV. Uh, it, it's basically a Sprinter van RV, and uh, that thing has. Uh, I've actually got an electrical problem right now where it's got a brand new battery in it. But if it's not if it's not running, basically that battery gets drained in three or four hours down to just about nothing. And I got to jumpstart right now. I got to jumpstart that thing every time I crank it. But uh, trying to trying to troubleshoot electrical stuff is just I went about crazy trying to find the problem and I'm going to have to get someone else to do it. But yeah, I've, I've got a ton of experience jump starting vehicles. So, um, let's talk about how to do this, man. Uh, first and foremost, you need some damn jumper cables. Uh, your odds of finding someone else that can help you is much, much easier if you don't have to find someone that's both willing and able to help you and has jumper cables. If you've got the cables, you've just solved 90% of your problem right there. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I would totally agree. And that's, uh, you know we have them in all of our vehicles, and they're they're not expensive, man. They take up very little space, and it, it's uh, it's it's something that you definitely want to have because if you like you said, if you're in the parking lot, hey man, can you give me a jump? I don't have any cables. Not a problem. There, Cletus, I've got them. Come on over.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, basically, all you need here, if you have the cables, is access to a working vehicle, access to a running vehicle with a with a battery in it you'll be you'll be good to go so uh you're gonna have to get that person to 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 get close to your get their vehicle close to your vehicle and this is sometimes real easy in parking lots especially like we talked about on the vehicle preparedness episode if you're parking way out at the end of the parking lot where nobody else is and there's head-to-head parking if that person could just pull into that parking space right across from yours bumper to bumper with you nose to nose Real, real easy to get those jumper cables to work. Otherwise, um, you know, you might have to get that person to, uh, because batteries aren't on the same side of every vehicle. Um, The longer your cables are, the easier this is going to be. But you're going to have to get that person to get close enough that that cable can reach both batteries.
2: Yeah, and uh, everything is different. You know, I had a, I believe it was a Mini Cooper that uh, had the battery was in the trunk, but the point that you would jump it at was actually under the hood. So um, just like anything else that Justin is, Justin and I will talk to you about, it's knowing beforehand so you're not trying to figure it out on the fly. If you get a new car, you need to figure these things out so you're not stuck trying to figure it out in the heat of the summer when you've got some uh, stranger standing over your shoulder, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I would also say this is another arrow in the quiver uh, to support backing into a parking space. If you pull head into a crowded parking space, Uh, you you may be sitting there waiting a couple of hours before a parking space beside you clears out or in front of you clears out so someone else can pull in there and jump you off so if you're backed in and you find someone that can help you they can just pull out into the into the main parking aisle or row or whatever you want to call it the thoroughfare there and and jump you off if you're head in parked to a uh, in a very very crowded parking lot that might be that might be difficult to do man
2: that is a solid recommendation Okay, so what's next?
0: All right, so the next thing is connect connecting these two batteries. And there is definitely some things you want to pay attention to, some very, very important safety things you want to pay attention to in here. Uh, so first and foremost, when this thing gets connected, when these cables get connected to either battery, you want to be very, very careful with these clamps. You don't want to allow the red clamp to touch the, the black clamp. Uh, at all you want to keep these things well separated from e- from each other
2: when you say so when you say well separated what what, what are we talking about four inches six well, basically just
0: ten? just not touching you don't want to uh here, here this would be a bad way to do it this is the way not to do it i want to be clear about that you don't want to take that working car connect the two clamps up to the working battery and just leave those other two clamps dangling where they could come into contact with each other is that
2: yeah, I would say that there's the ability for the two uh, to arc. So I, I like probably a good 10 to 12 inch spread between the two uh, ends. What do you think? Is that, am I overkill on it?
0: I I don't think so at all, man. I don't think you can be too too careful with that. So, so keep those clamps from touching each other. Keep them separated. Um, on your battery and the battery, the person that's helping you out, you have to know which terminal is negative and which terminal is positive. And positive is typically going to be indicated by a red wire clamped onto that terminal. And on most new batteries, man, there's going to be a big plus sign embossed in the plastic there on the positive terminal and a minus sign embossed on the negative terminal or right beside it or underneath it or whatever. It's not going to be too hard to figure out which is which, but you need to be very careful that you're correct connecting the the two positive terminals together you're going to run into big problems if you connect the positive terminal of the running car to the negative terminal, or vice versa. Uh, you need to know which is which and connect those to the right thing. So your red cable, your red clamp goes to the positive terminal, your black cable, or your black clamp goes to the negative terminal, right?
2: Yeah, and I I was helping um, a young lady one time, and, and um, I saw her doing it backwards, you know, and I was just, Providing the car and the thing, she seemed to know what she was doing. And um, when I saw her connect the black to the red, I kind of like, pardon me, you know, I think this is wrong. She's like, no, you do it opposite. That's what my dad taught me. I said, nah, I don't think so. Let's let's try it my way since it's my car and then we'll, you know, we'll see if that works. And uh, she's like, oh, okay. And of course, she was,
0: she, <laughs> she was going with the old uh, uh, light colors never go together. You always uh, <laughs> yeah. opposite, opposite colors. That's the way to go.
2: Yeah. And I don't mean to, make any kind of gender slight on this it just happened to be a woman that said it it could have been a freaking ignorant man too it just happened to be a woman
0: yeah definitely man no no doubt about that (laughs) so um if you've got covers on your battery terminals which are more and more common there's usually some sort of little plastic cover protecting sometimes both but frequently just the positive terminal you want to go ahead and remove those covers before on both batteries before you start working you want to be all set up uh, when you start clamping these things together right
2: yeah, and sometimes, like you said, Justin, you're dealing with corrosion, you'll open up that red terminal and you'll look inside and it's filled with that uh, oxida- oxidation or whatever's going on with the, that uh, bluish corrosion. And you're going to need to clean that off thoroughly before you connect that uh, clamp to it, right?
0: Yeah, or it's not going to make a solid connection and those electrons aren't going to be able to flow into your... Into your battery, so another another good case to be made for doing your PM. Staying on top of that, make sure you keep that corrosion knocked down on your on your battery terminals. Agreed. Okay, so uh, now we're actually going to connect these cables, and you want to connect them to the dead battery first. Uh, that creates less danger uh, in a couple of different ways. First, if those other two clamps happen to touch each other, well, that battery ain't got too much power in it anyway. And there's, there's less chance of sparking and arcing and all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to connect the red clamp to the positive terminal on my dead battery. Uh, I'm, that's the very first thing I'm going to do. The next thing I'm going to do is take that negative clamp, that black one, and I'm going to clamp it to any unpainted metal surface in that engine compartment of the dead car. I'm not going to connect it up to the battery.
2: Okay, tell me more about that.
0: So basically that negative terminal on the battery is going to be grounded anyway. And here's the... I was very curious about why this is the way it is. I've always heard this. I've always done this, but I've never known why. And basically, it boils down to this. The negative terminal... Or, excuse me, a dead battery produces hydrogen gas that's insanely flammable and explosive. Very, very dangerous gas to be... um, to be floating around in the atmosphere near your head. So, when you... If I connect the two terminals... If I connect the red clamp to the positive terminal, black clamp to the black terminal, there's a chance of a spark being created when that circuit is completed, which could ignite that hydrogen gas. If I connect the red clamp to the positive terminal and then the black clamp to some unpainted metal surface away from the battery even if a spark is created, it's not near that battery and, and there's, there's just massively less chance of that happening. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And can I off, uh, offer a little bit more on that hydrogen gas?
0: Yes, definitely.
2: That that same red pickup we were talking about earlier, I was going down the road in it one day me and my son, we're, we're doing something. And uh, I remember smelling this smell I'd never smelled before. And it smelled very caustic, very, very bad. And uh, I said, man, this is not good, bro. Um, pulled the truck over. I'm looking underneath the hood, and there's this gas venting from the, the battery, and a closer inspection revealed that, that the battery was bulging. I'm like, oh, man, this is all bad.
0: Ooh, that's bad news, man.
2: That is really bad news. So we sit there on the road. We let it cool down, and then I took it immediately to the um, the place where I bought it, which was only like five miles away with the windows down because that, that gas was, was coming off of it. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't even drove it any further, but we did, tested the battery, and they're like, oh man, we sold you a bad battery. Evidently, part of the uh, internals of the battery were touching each other and were arcing on the inside. So um, it's just something that I'd never heard before, didn't know it was even a possibility that th- this could happen, and it did, and they gave me a new battery, and the problem was solved. But have you ever... It was a brand new battery. It's only like a maybe a week or two old, and I hadn't driven it much. But uh, have you ever seen or heard that before?
0: I have not personally experienced that. I've heard about that once before, and I don't think I heard about it quite as uh, to the level of detail that you just offered there. But that's a scary situation, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. If it would have blown up, I mean, I, I'm sure we would have been fine. But just the gases coming off of it was enough to, I, you know, that, that's that got to be bad for you.
0: Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, there's there's nothing good about that.
2: Okay, so we got that uh, the black clamp. I've I've put it on an unpainted metal surface inside the dead engine compartment. What's next?
0: All right, so I've got the yeah, I've got the the dead vehicle hooked up now. I've got the red cable on the positive terminal, the black clamp on an unpainted metal surface where it can ground. Now I'm going to start hooking up the good vehicle, and I don't know what your thoughts. I saw mixed things on this and doing some research, but. For my money, I always want to have that working vehicle running when I hook it up. I don't want to just rely on that battery. I want the alternator actually putting some new electricity into the battery of that running car. I don't want to have to, I don't want to get myself jumped off and then have to jump off that person that jumped me off. Right?
2: Yep. Engine running. That's that's what I've heard. That's what I do. So
0: yeah. So make sure you're the working vehicle, the engine is running, and then at that point you'll start cl- connecting. The cables to that vehicle. So we're going to start with the red one, and we're going to connect it to the positive terminal, and we're going to take the black one and connect it to the negative terminal. So rule of thumb on your good battery: connect both the term, both the clamps up to the battery. On your dead vehicle, connect one clamp to the battery, one to some metal surface in the engine compartment. Right.
2: Correct. And I will tell you though, if you, and if when you connect that, uh, the you know the engine's running on the good vehicle. When you connect it, you you may hear the engine kind of drain a little bit or bog down. That's a good sign. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. If you hear that, you know, the engine's running, once it connects, that's good, right?
0: Yeah, that means you have a connection and some, a bunch of power has just been taken out of that battery. If you're, you might see the light stem, if your air condition's on, it might really slow down there for a second, but it'll catch back up as your vehicle adjusts to that, to that power drain. So... Uh, once we've got them both connected up, what, what next, man?
2: Well, the next thing is you're going to have to let the battery charge. And, and in order to do that, you're just going to have to be patient, right? It's not something that, okay, let's immediately try to, to tur- turn the car over, right?
0: Yeah, right. And and if I'm in the dead vehicle, one thing I'm going to do uh, before I attempt to start that vehicle is I'm going to turn, if I have, you know, on, on modern computerized stuff, it might be a little harder. But if I have like a manual dial that turns my air conditioner all the way down, if I could turn my lights off, uh, all that sort of stuff. So there's nothing or minimal other things pulling electrical power. When I go to crank the, the battery or crank the vehicle, I'm going to do that. I want all that power going to cranking, not to blow my air conditioning or turning my headlights on or whatever that is. Yeah,
2: uh, sound advice. What's next?
0: Uh, so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to, I'm probably going to give this about 60 seconds and then give the, the car a try. Um, if you're trying this thing every 15 seconds, you're getting a little bit of juice in the battery and then you're burning it. And 15 seconds later, you get a little more juice in the battery and then you're burning it. Um, uh, you need to give this time to let a little bit of electricity actually build up. So I'm going to, I'm going to wait about one minute and give it a shot. If it turns over a little bit, but doesn't catch, I'm going to give it a long, I, I'm probably going to give it about five minutes. Uh, and at that point, I should be good to go. Five minutes, man, if nothing's happened, um, probably nothing's going to. I That battery might just be so dead, it's not going to take any kind of charge at all. Uh, but sometimes I can still get it cranked. But if I've waited five minutes and nothing's happened, it's, it's probably time to move on, right?
2: Yeah, and the good news is if you are in a Walmart parking lot and this happens to you, you can just take the battery out, take it right inside, get you another one and put it in and you're probably good to go. But those batteries do have a shelf life, man. And, and, uh, there's only so many times they can be recharged inside your vehicle before they're finally just completely out and they will have to be replaced. So maybe that's, if it's not recharging after five minutes, maybe it's time to replace it.
0: Yeah. And here's a little pro tip, man. If I've uh, if i've been jumped off the next stop i'm going to make is at some sort of auto parts place and i'm going to have them test my battery and tell me what kind of charge it will hold and and typically the times you'll see batteries die a lot is when it gets r- the first big cold snap yeah uh, that cold drain on a battery is really really that's the time a battery really really gets tested and that's probably going to be your indicators that your battery's starting to go downhill um, and I, I'm going to go have it tested. And if they tell me I need a new battery, guess what? It's time to get a new battery.
2: Yeah, that, that's a sound advice. It's, and it reminds me of like if you got a, a fuse that's blown once, maybe twice, there's something else wrong. You're going to have to look into it, man. It's not just a keep popping these fuses in there. If, you're, if your uh, battery's done this to you once, you, I, I think that's a great. Tip: Go ahead and find out what what the heck is wrong with it. If it's time to replace it, replace it. If not, if it's an indicator or something else, why it's getting drained and it's not just an issue of the temperature outside, then we need to we need to look into that before we get um, we need to get in a situation that we're 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 in trouble.
0: All right, Rich. So I'm sitting in the Walmart parking lot. My battery's dead. I found somebody to help me out and jump me off. Do I want to hop in the car? dash right across the street to the grocery store and turn my car off and go in and get groceries. No,
2: unless you want to get stuck again, <laughs> have to get jumped off again. If that's your way of meeting people, then go for it. But uh, uh, <laughs> otherwise, I think you should probably.
0: That's a really, really clunky old school dating app. <laughs> yeah, right? it is. But... Dead battery everywhere. You yeah,
2: can. it works, man. <laughs> <laughs> Does it? Yeah, it's it's how I met my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, the alternator is going to recharge that battery, but it needs about 15 minutes or so to do it. So you need to keep that vehicle running if you do what what you just said. I'm just running across town and I'm going to shut it down again and jump out. Well, you're probably going to be right back in the same position. So uh, yeah, you got to give it about 15 minutes or so.
0: Yeah, and and that's a good test too. If you have a battery, if if you have to get jumped off three mornings in a row. But you're driving for three hours a day, and your headlights are working, and your air working is working, and all that stuff. Your alternator is providing plenty of power to that battery while the vehicle's running, but your battery's shot. It's it's time to get a new battery. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, how to jump a car off with jumper cables. What uh, What's our next option, man?
2: Well, the next thing is battery packs, and I've had... Mixed results with these, so I'm interested to hear um, what you have to say about this, man. What do you What do you think?
0: I've had very mixed results with these too. So, uh, we talked about this in the vehicle preparedness episode with Virgil, and I am keenly interested in those lithium battery packs that Virgil talked about that are about the size of you know a big hardcover book, but contain like a thousand amps, and and you know they're very very small and compact but have fantastic reviews on Amazon. I'll post a link to those. Uh, the only thing is those are about a hundred bucks a pop. And, uh, I, I don't want to buy one for my car and not have one in, in Kai Mando's car. So I'm going to wait till I can buy a couple of those and we'll, we'll test them out and see, but I am, if they work man they're a much much better option because you don't need any assistance you can completely self-recover uh and that's important in a place if you're out in the woods somewhere where there just aren't any other people that's nice to be able to do if you're um or if you're traveling like really rural areas late at night uh and or you know leaving work on third shift from someplace in the middle of nowhere the ability to do that yourself is pretty damn important
2: oh without a doubt i think uh you know, I definitely am going to get one of those that Virgil recommended and and just to see how it works because I've seen um, like people that use car lots, man, they they have them and swear by them. The guys that run record services, they they use them every single day and swear by them. So there's got to be something to it. And like I said, it's something that the ability to self-recover and not have to depend on cell service to get somebody to come out and help you or find another person that can jump you or whatever i think is is part of what atp is all about so it's something you and i probably need to get on board with
0: well i'll, I'll tell you i'll commit to this man when i get one i will um i, I might just leave my headlights on and drain my battery or something and test it out and see how it works I'll, I'll in any case i'll write a review about it and post some pictures and stuff on it
2: sounds good so what's involved man obviously we need to pop the hood everything that we mentioned before right if you get in click 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 i mean that's an indicator so what do we do we pop the hood and do what
0: so i think this is the simplest option rich um basically i looked at a bunch of different manufacturers websites and they say open the thing up or you know whatever if it's in a case or whatever it is take those clamps and you're going to go ahead and attach the red clamp to the positive terminal the black clamp to the negative terminal and there's a reason for that. There's no power actually running to this thing until you turn it on. Most of them have a switch. So there's no danger of, of creating a spark there. Um, so you just connect those clamps, make sure they have a good connection. A, you know, they're biting into that soft terminal. And then you turn that thing on and. Follow the manufacturer's instructions. There's usually some sort of switch on these things. I've owned several of the big old battery packs. Um, you just follow the manufacturer's instructions. Typically, you'll have to wait a few minutes. Sometimes these things even have a fancy little uh, LED display on them that will tell you where your battery's charge is at and if you can crank yet or, or what. Uh, you wait the appropriate amount of time, and when it's good to go, you start your car, pop that thing off, and you head home and recharge that thing up.
2: You know, and we don't have this on the show notes, but this sounds very similar to one that I have here on the farm, and that is uh, one of those that you plug into a wall outlet and connect to the battery, and it can recharge the battery, or it has a feature on it uh, where it can jump off the the, uh, the battery. So it's it's a very similar process. I just wanted to mention that that is available, but of course, you do have to plug it into a wall outlet to, to get it to work.
0: Yeah, my my dad has one of those.
2: Yeah, they're they're uh, they're pretty awesome, man. Um, we use them for you know the tractor batteries or the lawnmower batteries or a car battery. Uh, they're pretty inexpensive and take up almost no space, and it's it, it's something that you know you could use at at your apartment or whatever with a long extension cord. So um, it, it's not a bad option.
0: Yeah, no, not at all, man. Um, so we, all right, we've talked about jumping a car with the aid of someone else and a set of jumper cables we've talked about jump starting the car with these precharged battery packs booster packs whatever you want to call them and we'll have some links to those in the show notes let's talk about popping the clutch man this is one of my favorites uh have you ever done this
2: oh yeah many 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 times cuz i have uh until i got this f150 I, I know it sounds crazy but i've always had a uh a uh manual transmission so this is something i've done my entire life.
0: Yeah, the, so i learned to do this in the church parking lot when i was uh i was probably 10 years old, man, my buddy, uh his dad had a had an old Ford F150 with a manual transmission in it and somehow i mean we we're both little little kids, man, uh somehow he had been exposed to that and he's like, "Hey man, let's pop the clutch on this thing." And there was everybody parked on this very modest hill with a, you know, a lot of space in front of it. So we we started pushing that truck, and he would jump in and, and pop the clutch and start his dad's truck off. And uh, we didn't get to do that too many times before we got shut down. But <laughs> but that did happen.
2: Yeah, and I had a a motorcycle when I was a younger man that the uh, st- uh, starter went out on, and and I still loved to ride it. And it was a, a big, beautiful bike, and I'm like man, I couldn't afford the five hundred bucks to get the new starter uh, put on or even purchased. So I just Pop the clutch everywhere I went on that bike, man. I didn't give a shit. But yeah, it's 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 pretty easy to do. So
0: what is popping the clutch? What what actually happens?
2: Oh man, dude, I'm, you're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I could I could give you a best guess, but I'd have to get a mechanic on here to explain all the weird wizardry that's going on under the hood.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, you get the wheels turning. Uh, when that clutch is pushed in and then you, uh, and, and the vehicle's in gear, obviously, and you let that clutch out. Really. We're going to talk about this in more detail. You pop the clutch out, you just take your foot off of it and let it sling back. And suddenly all that energy gets transferred to the transmission, which transfers it to something else, which causes the engine to turn over. Uh, but like, no kidding, man, this sounds crazy, but no kidding. This thing, this actually works. If you can get that vehicle rolling, you can get it started.
2: Yeah, totally. Which again is a, is another thing, another reason maybe for backing in, right? Ah,
0: man, that is a great point, Rich.
2: Yeah, backing that car in, and, and especially if you know you've got a a spotty battery or some kind of issue that you're having it's not a bad idea. I've, I know I've done this with what Jeep that I had, I kept having problems with. I would intentionally look for a place to park this, back it in, and it had a little bit of a hill so that if I got in this situation, I could easily get myself out by popping that clutch. But you know what? It seems like manual uh, transmissions are getting a little bit more rare every year, rarer every year, I should say.
0: They definitely are, man. I uh, My vehicle choice was kind of based on like I've I've the vehicle I have I've wanted for a while and I was kind of holding out for manual transmission knowing that I probably wasn't going to find one and one just happened to pop up in my in the area that we were living in at the time well it was was about an hour and a half away Uh, I found it on like a vehicle search website or whatever and the very next day I drove up to that dealership and sure enough it was sitting there man so uh, manual transmissions are harder to come by I you know Sometimes I'll be honest man, I wish I had an automatic but but not really. I'm I I like having that. I I just like driving a manual transmission. I know may, uh, automatics have come a long way. They're probably more fuel efficient. They're probably superior in just about every way except this one, which I think is pretty important.
2: That that is true. Okay, so what's next, bro?
0: All right, so if you're on a hill, uh make sure it's not too steep. You need to get the vehicle moving. So you can do this by yourself if you're parked on a hill. Um but you're, you you got to keep in mind, your car is not going to have power steering. It's not going to have power brakes. Uh, so you don't want to be on some super steep grade where if this vehicle doesn't start, you're going to completely lose control of it. Um, I would say just a slight incline is, is enough to get this thing going and make sure you have several hundred feet of clear path in front of that vehicle. So, you know, if you've got 50 feet and then there's a, an oak tree there, that's Popping the clutch might not be the best way to go, man.
2: That's true. Uh, yeah. So it, just like you said, you know, make sure there's no obstacles in front of you, and be aware of anything that could hit you. Uh, if there's an intersection up up in front of you, that that's a too too dangerous. Uh, you know, so trees, telephone poles, little kids playing. I mean, you need to be aware of all that stuff that could could be an issue.
0: Yeah, and you got to realize you're going to get this vehicle rolling with no power to the engine. It's just rolling under. Uh, it's, it's just rolling, and then once it starts, you're going to be moving forward under engine power. So you're going to start to accelerate really quickly. There's a number of things you got to do kind of all at once. So um, can you do this if you if you're not parked on a hill, Rich?
2: You can uh, if someone pushes the car. Um, so you're going to need at least one one more friend with you. One is going to have to be in the vehicle managing the clutch, and somebody else is going to have to be pushing. I've done this before, um, it and it will work.
0: Yeah, let me, let me tell you, if two 10-year-old kids can do this, and basically the way we did that, we'd leave the driver door open, uh, both of us would push till it got rolling to, to a fast enough speed, and then uh, one of us would go hop up there in the driver's seat. Probably not the best way to, probably not the safest way to do it, man. You probably want both people um, up there in that, you want one person up there in that driver's seat when you start.
2: Yeah, Totally.
0: All right, so before you start, you want, you, want the, uh, you want the key in the ignition and you want it turned to, uh, to the on position because you want to unlock the steering column and all that stuff. Um, you also want to go ahead and put the transmission into second gear. So you're going to have first gear typically has a lot more torque than second gear. Uh, you, you don't need to send a ton of compression to the engine to get this thing going. And you also, um, if, you're, if you're going fast enough, putting this thing in second gear could rev the engine, uh, or in first gear could rev the engine really, really hot. Uh, so second gear is typically where I've had good luck doing this. Do you have anything different on that?
2: No, and I'm glad you said that because that was a mistake I made uh, for quite a while, putting it in first gear and thinking, well, that's going to work. But a, a lot of times it would, you know, the the rear tires would skid or something like that would, would happen, you know, and it, I would lose uh, putting it in second gear is good and another key point that you kind of glossed on real quick was turning that uh key to the on position not only uh you know engages a lot of the electronic components that you're going to need to start the vehicle but it also unlocks the steering wheel and i've seen people make that mistake uh and have the steering wheel locked when they're trying to do it it's it's a it's a bad thing so yeah that, that those are all s- uh sage advice there man
0: All right, we got the key and the ignition turned on. We got the transmission, second gear. We're going to, uh, you're going to put your foot on the brake pedal and depress the clutch. So you've got the clutch pushed in. You got your foot on the brake. At this point, you're going to go ahead and release your parking brake um, and now you gotta get the vehicle moving, man.
2: Yeah, so if, if you're lucky enough to be on a hill, a little thing called Newtonian physics is gonna take over and it's gonna start rolling. If not, you got your buddies pushing from behind. Uh keep the vehicle moving in a safe direction. Keep your eyes not only on the speedometer, because we're gonna talk about that in a second, but also your eyes scanning the horizon for any potential issues with uh, you know, somebody running out front of you or whatever, because not only is um, the vehicle once it starts, it's going to be going right. So you got the issue of you're rolling now, but you're fixing to be in a driving vehicle, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think we can overstate this enough, man. But this is—you need to have a clear path in front of you because this, yeah, once the vehicle starts, it's going to be powered by the engine, and it's gonna—it's going to be going. So you got to have a clear d- direction to travel out in front of you. So we push the clutch in, we put our foot on the brake. we' re- release the park and brake we tell our buddies to to give it hell and, uh, <laughs> and, and we get going so uh how fast do we want to get this thing going
2: well i think the literature says between five and seven miles per hour uh when is the optimal speed for releasing the clutch pedal have you seen anything different than that
0: no that's everything i run across said five miles an hour five to seven something along those lines
2: yeah, and then that will—that's the optimal time for you to release the clutch, and that's going to cause that the, the power to transfer from the wheels to the engine, and then the, the, hopefully the engine should start right.
0: Yeah, and and if it doesn't start on that first one, you're in luck because all you got to do to repeat that process is is uh, push the clutch in, get it back up to speed, and pop it out again. And when I say pop the clutch, I mean just take your foot off of it as fast as you can. Let that clutch. Pedal sling back and let it uh, let it disengage so the transmission's getting all that power again. And man, this this works like gangbusters, man.
2: Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, and again, on a, on a motorcycle, I know we're not talking about that, but really, you're just running alongside the motorcycle with your hands on the handlebar and you're po- popping the clutch <laughs> by letting it out. I mean, it's it's a very simple process. Yeah, and, and works.
0: And, uh, as you pointed out, man, you don't even need a battery in your vehicle. You don't need a starter. You don't need, uh, really any of your ignition components to get that vehicle going as, as long, as long as you can do this, this, this will overcome a lot of problems to get that vehicle running. Now, if you don't have a battery, you're not going to power a lot of your, uh, your electrical things, but you'll at least get the car started if you're in some sort of a severe emergency.
2: Yeah, true. Very true.
0: All right. So, uh, that should start the vehicle. Now, again, uh, you're going to be moving, and as soon as that vehicle cranks, it's in second gear, the clutch is out, so it's going to potentially start to accelerate, especially if you have a tendency to want to give it some gas, because this doesn't bring it to the smoothest start in the world, does it, Rich?
2: No, and I would tell you that as, as soon as the engine's running out, the, the best thing I've seen is to get right back on that clutch and brake, and, so that whether it's picking your friends up who's been pushing you so they can get back in the vehicle and go, or, or, uh, you know, you're running out of road in front of you or what have you. So as soon as you got the engine going, you give it a little gas, everything's a, a go, get back on that clutch and break. Was that what you'd recommend? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or slowing down long enough to give your friends a bird and then, uh, <laughs> then drop the clutch again and get That's out the, of there. That, is that no, the Justin um, Carroll
2: method and leave me in the dust? <laughs>
0: no, 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 man. I've, uh, <laughs> Uh, I can, I, I know some people that I can see that happening with though, but, uh, uh, yeah, um, you're exactly right, man. That engine's going to kind of sputter to life for me. I'm just going to push the clutch right back in, give it a little bit of gas and, and get the, get the engine cycle smoothed out there and get it, get it going. Um, one thing to be aware of, especially if you're doing this in first gear, which again, we don't recommend, but a lot of torque is going to transfer to the engine and, you, and especially on front wheel drive vehicles, you can have what's called torque steer, which means, All that torque is going to those wheels. It can cause them to veer one way or the other. So you want to make sure you uh, you're handling that steering wheel pretty pretty aggressively when you pop that clutch out.
2: Ah, great great point. And I you know and that a lot of that can be overcome is keep the vehicle going straight. You know I've seen um, someone's like, well you know there's a tree ahead, so I'm gonna. try to jump it off going at a, at an arc to the left or an arc to the right or whatever. Uh, you can do that, but there's a lot of danger to that. If you, if at all possible, keep the vehicle going in a straight direction. And like you said, Justin, keep a tight grip on that steering wheel as you're popping it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So, um, so what else,
2: Rich? Um, I think that's about it, brother.
0: Yeah. Um, with these three techniques, one of these three techniques, and this is a fairly, uh, turned out to be a fairly short episode, but, which, honestly, this is. there's more here than I thought there was, but with these three techniques, man, you should be able to uh, find one of them to get your vehicle up and running again and back on the road.
2: Yeah, man. Um, I guess we could go into the book of the week, and if you don't have one this week, I've got one. What do you got, man? I, I, don't, I don't think we've mentioned this before, A Hundred Deadly Skills by Clint Emerson. Did we ever talk about this?
0: I don't think we did, but I, have, uh, I heard an interview with him about that book uh, not too long ago. Tell me about it
2: it is a it is a really interesting little little book. it's a quick read, and I like the way he's um, you know there's for everyone there's let's say i'm I'm looking right now on on um, number fifty five and it it's a page of text that tells you what what to do and how to do it and what most importantly why you would want to be able to do this and then on the next page it shows you there's a little drawings depicting how to do it. There's some are not. all I think the misnomer here is not everything in here is deadly, but a lot of them are enabling conditions that will help you be deadly. Um, so I really enjoyed this book. It's um, "100 Deadly Skills: The Seal Operative's Guide to Eluding Pursuers, Evading Capture, and Surviving Any Dangerous Situation," and uh, I really enjoyed it, man. It's a quick read. You know, Or you can just pick it apart as, as one at a time as things that, that interest you. So I highly recommend this book. So would you
0: say those skills that don't explicitly make you deadly uh, make you competent?
2: Ooh, yes, it does. <laughs> uh,
0: no, man, I, I've been keenly interested in this book for a while. I'll definitely be checking out a copy of that, man. And the idea of, of 100 skills that make you competent and or dangerous to me sounds ATP A-F. as fuck.
2: <laughs> hey, um, and, and and someone that is skilled in, as uh, lock picking and things of that nature as you are, I'd be interested to see what you think about some of the improvised lock picking techniques he talks about in here.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, man, I, I'll uh, I'll get a copy of that on order today and. I'll we'll circle back around to that in a future episode.
2: All right man, so that's the book of the week. Um you want to take us out?
0: Yeah, thank you to everybody for listening to the To Across the Peak. We really really appreciate it. Be sure to check out across the peak.com for our show notes, our additional content, blog posts, um maybe videos coming sometime soon. Uh no promises, but maybe. Uh tell someone about the show, man. That's how we spread this thing and there's probably someone in your life that could use this information. So uh, pick an episode that would be suitable for that person and get it out to them. We would really, really appreciate it. That helps us grow and helps us spread the word. So until next week, remember be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous.
1: You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous.